What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. CoinKite and River are two awesome Bitcoin companies which support this podcast. If you'd like to hear more about them, keep listening. If not, skip ahead 60 seconds. CoinKite offers the products you need to securely store and use your Bitcoin. If you don't self-custody your Bitcoin, you don't have Bitcoin, and it's only a matter of time before you become a cautionary tale. To avoid that fate, it's imperative that you take custody now and take advantage of the unique form of financial freedom which Bitcoin provides. If you've already sorted yourself out, Christmas is a perfect time of year to give the gift of Bitcoin to Bitcoiners and pre-coiners alike. Give physical Bitcoin with the SATS card, get someone's self-custody journey started with the cold card, or put the newly released Block Clock Micro on your own Christmas list. As far as I'm concerned, the CoinKite store is a one-stop shop for all your gifting needs, with all sorts of quality gear to accompany you and your loved ones down the rabbit hole this holiday season and into the new year. To check it out, visit CoinKite.com. River allows you to securely buy Bitcoin, zero-fee dollar cost average, and purchase hosted mining rigs. Also, their Lightning service enables developers and companies to integrate Lightning payments into their applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure themselves. I recommend River because of their dedication to service, stellar team, and in-house approach to building a next-generation financial services business on Bitcoin. To get started, visit river.com today. Well, where to start? <laughs> it's like we've been doing this forever. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, our, our technical difficulties, I think, were fairly unique to the new setup that I'm within. At least that got us held up for the, the, mo the, the mo most of the time we were trying to get this going. Yeah, well, it was a uh, it was a good learning experience for me. You know, um, it's hard to control. It's impossible to control, you know, what networks your users are using, but you have, it has yeah. to, you know, regardless. Um, totally. You know, well, look, man. Zoom and Zoom worked. <laughs> as a, true, true. Well, as an intro, uh, the reason why I was so insistent that we do it this way and not just default to Zoom is, you know, obviously because I think it's starting to become apparent to a lot of people that, you know, the so-called value-enabled web, I know that's not necessarily a unanimously accepted yeah, but I think it's probably going to stick. Um, it's just going to, it's starting to represent so many unique possibilities. And I, it does really seem like that, that this is the next step or the next era in the age, the next era of the internet, you know, where all of these new uh, use cases and all these new capabilities emerge as a result of basically having Bitcoin infused into all these applications and, and services that people use on the internet. And this is obviously one of them. And so I wanted to, you know, get it out there in the wild and play around with it and, um, you know, see yeah. one, see how, see how well it works. And two, to the extent possible, shift my activities as much into the value enabled slash Bitcoin world as possible. And, you know, I've been yeah. doing that in other domains and I'd love it if I could do it in the domain of podcasting and not be using, you know, all the fiat stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Better for sure. Sure. Well, you know, I appreciate that. And, you know, I totally agree. I mean, I think um, monetization, you know, on the internet in general is, you know, is broken. Um, you know, most websites today make money, you know, via, via ads, right? And what are ads? Uh, ads stream value to the, you know, the, the owner of the platform or the website in exchange for users' attention. So users are paying attention on some website and the platform you know, monetizes that attention. And, you know, these advertisers are paying for access to, hu to your, you know, to human attention, 
Um, but you know, it's, it's indirect and, um, the internet needs a more broadly accessible tools that stream value directly to the users in exchange for their attention. And the value needs to be streamed directly to the content creators, you know, for the, the content that they're producing, that's garnering that attention, <clears throat> you know, essentially yeah. just eliminating the, you know, the middlemen in, in that transaction. Um, and, you know, I think the Lightning Network is critical uh, to achieving that because it's the only protocol that can scale, you know, to uh, the scale required to, you know, to, to handle the internet and all the interactions that occur every day. Um, and, you know, on Vita, we think that that future, that, that, that world starts with individuals setting a price for their time and attention, you know, or their content. Uh, in this case, you know, you hosting a live stream, it's it's your content and you you get to set the price for that. So, you know, I totally agree. I think it's the way the internet is moving. I think that, you know, more and more power on the internet will be garnered by the, the content creators, the content producers. And, um, you know, they're going to be able to, they're going to be able to harness that power and take it away from the, you know, the platform owners. Yeah, I totally agree. And before we get into... Uh, you know, dreaming up all the potential impacts and implications of this, you know, why was it that you decided to take this on? You know, it's, it's very early days in this whole phenomenon where, you know, the value enabled web and it's yet to be determined what the right approach is going to be, what trade-offs need to be made and how that's going to resonate with people. So like what, you know, what inspired you to jump back into the entrepreneurial game and, and try your hand at figuring this out? Yeah. Um, well, in general, you know, I mean, I, I thrive in sort of the, you know, the creation process. I had been working for my previous employer. They acquired my previous company for about five years or so. And honestly, I'd kind of had enough of the, uh, the big company bureaucracy, <laughs> you know, wanted to, wanted to get back into creation mode. And, um, you know, back in, 2017, 2018, when the Lightning Network was sort of, you know, just getting off the ground. Um, I don't know. You know, I have I have a particularly unique set of skills in like the telecom, you know, real-time audio video sort of building applications, you know, in that space. And um, it seemed inevitable to me that Lightning was going to be used to settle the value of communications in the future. And I'm not saying all communications, you know, or, uh, but you know, um, when two non-trusted parties are trying to communicate with each other, the Lightning Network is you know, perfect for settling the value for that. And I knew it was going to be, you know, it was going to take a long time, but like, you know, somebody has to start building that technology now and somebody has to start, you know, testing it in the market um, and, you know, trying to find product market fit with it. And, um, you know, I thought, well, well, why not me? You know, why not just give it a whirl. <laughs> when did it dawn on you that the lightning network and particularly, you know, being able to have that final settlement without credit, without all the, the counterparty risks that that involves, without all the KYC, without all the costs involved in, in that. Right. So when you remove credit from the equation, you get final settlement, it opens up a, well, it removes a lot of impediments and it removes a lot of inefficiencies. When, what do you think those are, first of all, and when did the penny kind of drop and you realizing like, wow, this, this will open up a, you know, a lot of potential and use cases on, you know, the internet broadly. Yeah. Um, 
Well, you know, back in 2018, 2019, I was working on this, this project inside of uh, my previous employer. And, you know, they were the largest wholesale operator in the world. So they did billions and billions, you know, 30 billion minutes a month, you know, of audio, video, you know, traffic, um, you know, like they, you know, they power all the dial-in numbers for Zoom, you know, that's, that's the, you know, behind the scenes, you know, so massive scale, but also with massive scale, you know, massive amounts of telecom fraud and spam, you know, traversing their networks. And we had a project open where we were trying to use machine learning basically to identify you know, the spam and fraud so that we could cut it off sooner, right? But it was this constant game of cat and mouse because, you know, why does the spam exist in the first place? It exists because it doesn't cost the spammers anything to, you know, programmatically send out 100,000 phone calls, you know, and make 100,000 people's phones ring, right? It doesn't cost them anything to do that. And, um, you know, at the time, this was when the Lightning Network was coming out, and I was like, man, you know, this is... We could actually, if we could just settle the value of this communication in real time and not have, and if the, the, you know, the company could not have to operate on trust um, and actually instead settle the value of it in real time, that would completely disincentivize spam uh, from existing in the first place. And um, that's kind of what got me thinking about it. And, you know, I sort of started tinkering with, um, you know, building the SIP infrastructure and stuff that would that would be required uh, to actually settle the value of, of communication with the Lightning Network. Sort of tinkering and became apparent that it was, you know, it was possible. Um, and, uh, you know, here we are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I don't know if it was super clear in my tweet, but we are using uh, a Vita call right now and we're streaming it to Twitter and we'll get the audio and video recording later so this is pretty cool i mean i think a lot of people would be surprised that already so much can be done from within it because i i think the general thinking is that you have to make a lot of trade-offs right like all this new lightning bitcoin stuff is very clunky and it, it can't compete with your zooms and your zencasters and that kind of stuff but i mean for as long as you guys have been at it this is pretty impressive yeah yeah i mean you know our whole our, our whole goal is to make vita accessible to anyone like we don't want you to you know, have to be a, a Bitcoin geek in order to get value from, from using Vita, you know. You know, we let you fund an account with credit card, you know, as an example. You know, you, you don't have to just use the Lightning Network. Um, you know, and- Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, we, you, can, you can fund an account with credit card. It's not as good of an experience, you know, as if you fund it with, with Lightning. You know, we have to charge extra fees because of credit card risk. The person receiving, you know, the funds don't get their money for 30 days, you know, whereas if you top up your account with Lightning, you know, it's instant. Um, <clears throat> you know, if all you, the function is, is very similar once it's once the account is funded. It's it's very it's similar, except the person receiving the funds, you know, again, their money's held until until the funds settle. Right. And so any user can go into Vita settings and turn off receiving Vita credit, which is essentially what we call it. You know, like if you don't want to receive these held, these held funds. Um, but, you know, our goal with Vita is to incentivize every user to use the Lightning Network with A, either marking the fees down or B, um, you know, because you actually get the benefit of, of real-time settlement. You know, if your Vita account is connected to Strike, you know, and somebody's watching one of your page streams on Vita or sending you a message, you know, those funds go immediately to strike. 
right? Immediately to, you know, to your account. If you have a lightning address connected to your account, those funds go immediately to your lightning address. We never touch them at all. Um, you know, so we're trying to encourage any user that signs up for Vita to use the lightning network because it's actually beneficial for them, you know, not just because it's the only option that we offer. We want to make right. it clear using the lightning network is better. You know, it's better than fiat in every way. Um, <clears throat> totally. So. And so insofar as, you know, you have a sat, you know, a, a Bitcoin balance on your Vita page, that's custodial, right? Mm -hmm. But you, as you just said, you can make it non-custodial for the streaming payments and all that other stuff that comes in through the different mechanisms by which people can send you money on, on Vita. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we, it's totally possible to use Vita entirely non-custodially and we encourage you to do that. In fact, we cut, uh, our fees in half if you, you know, connect your account to some other lightning service. So we support Ellen bits as an example. Um, you know, so you can go give us a, you know, spin up an Ellen bits wallet anywhere and connect it to your Vita account and we never touch your money. Um, nice. you know, that's sending or receiving on the receive side. We have a lot of other options like a lightning address or strike or open node. Um, you know, we offer a lot of sort of ways to connect to, you know, whatever you have that's lightning powered. And that's the beauty of lightning is it lets all these services, you know, interact with one another, um, in really unique ways. And, you know, we're going to be rolling out a unique signup process soon that lets you completely, you know, sign up end to end without ever us needing to create a custodial account for you. I mean, that's the ultimate goal is that, you know, we don't want to touch your money if we, if we don't have to, because it's, it's easier for us to build, you know, to scale our company because we don't have to deal with the regulatory issues uh, related with being a custodian. And it's better for you because you don't have to, you know, give us, give us any of your information. And can you do, can you use Vita entirely anonymously? So as of today, because by default, everyone is getting a custodial account, even if you connect it to another account, as of today, the signup process requires that you put in a phone number uh, and verify a phone number. But by the end of the week, that's actually changing. We're completely revamping it to have, have this non-custodial, non-KYC uh, signup option. So um, that's awesome. So what does that entail? You providing some sort of virtual number to sign up signups? Yeah. Uh, well, not, not, that's not, not necessarily required. And, and by the way, you know, if you do give us your phone number, we, you do get a lot of value from that because like if somebody pays to send you a message, we deliver it straight to your cell phone, you know, over SMS and you can just respond over SMS. Um, if somebody tries to call you, we forward the call to your cell phone. You just answer it like a normal phone call and you're getting paid, you know? <clears throat> so there are a lot of advantages, you know, to integrate cool. your, your cell phone number with Vita, but we don't want people to have to do that. You know, um, you know, it's, it's just not required, you know, why make them. So coming up uh, soon, like you'll just be able to sign up with a, with an email address or a Twitter, uh, like you used to be able to. And then when you go to sort of set up your account to receive funds, you'll be able to choose our custodial option, which will require that you verify your phone number or a non-custodial option, which will sort of walk you through either connecting an Ellen Bits. Uh, we're working with Swan to be able to connect a Swan account uh, straight to Vita. Uh, you know, you can connect an OpenNote account, you can connect a Strike account. So we're gonna give you tons of, you know, tons of options. Whatever you feel comfortable with, you know, uh, you'll be able to connect it. That's awesome. What, what would you say is like the, 
I've heard you mention before, and I think even on this call so far, although the lines are blurred between our pre-call and this and, and being live, but um, you know, you mentioned before this idea of having a market price for your time, and this all of these different functions and this platform ba platform basically making it more easy for you to do that, making it for, more easy for you to price your time in all the different ways you might devote your time, which would be answering messages or you know, being on a live stream and receiving uh, in-stream comments, taking phone calls. Is that the overarching you know, thesis or idea here? Or is there something else? No, I, I mean, I, I think that's it. U you know, ultimately, um, I think that, well, I, I guess I'll step back and say this. You know, it's very difficult to get in touch with someone these days without having some social connection ahead of time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you, you for example, you know, uh, I don't know if you have your DMs open on, on Twitter or not, but, you know, let's say that you didn't, right? How do I actually just send you a message, you know, and, and show you my intent, you know, to have a real, you know, conversation with you? Um, mm -hmm. there's, really, there's really not a lot of ways to do that. And the reason is because of spam, right? We're all sort of, we've, we've all closed ourselves off, you know, to open access because of the giant spam issue that we, you know, that we all have. And the, the issue is that it's free, right? It's free to contact you in most circumstances. You know, if you had the contact, uh, you know, the communication path open, it's free. So there's no disincentive to spam. So the idea with Vita is that everyone's time is valuable. You know, everyone, everyone's attention is valuable. And if we really want to stop spam while still allowing anyone to have access, while still allowing open access, uh, the only way to do it is by setting a price on your time. And, um, you know, that's sort of the fundamental picture, but, you know, we're attacking the market uh, in the near term by offering valuable tools for, you know, creators like you. Uh, you know, we're offering this live streaming, you know, platform for free. You know, we're offering, you know, HD recording, you know, for free. There's, you know, there's probably no easier way on the internet to host a paid live stream than with Vita today. You know, there's, it's just, you know, not something that exists. So we want to offer real value to creators like you uh, through these tools. And then, you know, at the same time, help you monetize your audience in other circumstances, you know, through paid calls and messages. And, uh, you know, we hope we can get the flywheel starting with normal people so that when they sign up, you know, to watch a paid stream or to, you know, message you after a show or whatever, you know, they set their own rates as well. Um, you know, and they set up their own prof profile as well. So that ultimately, you know, maybe we can pull off creating sort of the world's first paid, you know, paid phone book, sort of global paid phone book where you can access anyone at the rate that they set. That was kind of long right. <laughs> That's great. But so, I mean, first of all, does that just mean you're absorbing all the, because as, as I alluded to a, a few minutes ago, you guys are providing what a lot of other p platforms provide e either together or individually, and you're all doing it one place and you're offering it all for free. So are you guys just eating the cost of doing that right now? And if so, how long can you do that? And what is the, I, I presume the monetization model for you guys is just taking a cut of all the flows that happen on the platform, but yeah, yeah, that's, you know, that's exactly right. So, you know, our, our, we're basically offering a new monetization, you know, method. So, you know, we, we're offering, you know, similar features to Restream, 
similar features to Riverside, you know, and, uh, you know, similar features to, to Zoom, I guess, in some ways, except we're just monetizing it in a different way because we have these unique monetization tools built into the product. Um, you know, and by default, like if you're using our system custodially, you know, we take 20%, which is on the lower end of like anything you'd find anywhere else. Like, you know, Twitch takes 50 plus percent. You know, if you look at something like, I don't know, OnlyFans, I think they take 25%. You know, if you connect your Vita account to any Lightning service, we cut our fee in half and we only take 10. You know, so it's actually a really good deal to connect your account to a Lightning service and, you know, get to use all these features and functionality uh, without any additional costs. Right. You know, one of the things you guys, first of all, it's been interesting because we had a call, I don't know what it was now, three or four months ago about, it could have been even more um, Bitcoin time, you know what it's like, but um, you guys seem to be iterating quite quickly. You know, one of the things that uh, I'm not exactly sure when you launched it, but it's the, the Vita dot page, right? Like a landing page for someone's, well, for, for anyone really, and all their different destinations. And I think not only is that great for you guys, cause I think, you know, it, it's another value proposition for people to be familiar with the platform and use the platform. But a lot of people out there who are doing creative work or just, you know, anything of value, really, uh, you know, having a web page and an online presence and all that kind of stuff is kind of a, a big stumbling block. And even if it's not a stumbling block, usually everything becomes disparate, right? You have this for that and this for that. And uh, it's, you know, the, the UX that you guys have put into that and the, you know, very simple to put all your destinations there. And this is who I am and this is my rate and all that kind of stuff. I can see it being a very appealing to people that don't want to mess around with all that stuff, but just recognize I want an online presence. I want a way for people to get in touch with me. And I want a way that I can showcase the thing, you know, link to the things that I'm involved in. And you you guys have done a very good job of making that super simple and integrating it with all the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I mean, that's, it's just another example, sort of our strategy, right? We want to, we want to provide all the value we possibly can, you know, to a creator, or to a user on the internet, and that includes offering a free link page, you know, something that you typically have to pay for, you know, through something like Link uh, Linktree, you know, or some of those other competitors. Um, you know, we want to do it for free because we want you to use our, our monetization, you know, tools. Um, mm-hmm. And we're just getting started, you know, with the, with the monetization tools, you know. Um, I mean, if you think about it, like, I mean, the, the entire economy is essentially, you know, run on you know, the value of human time and attention, especially online, right? So like the amount of tools that one can create to, to help people monetize the value of their time and attention is really sort of endless, right? And, um, you know, that's our, that's, that's our whole ball game. You know, we're trying to use the Lightning Network to create new tools to help you harness the value of your time and attention and, you know, we're starting with uh, what we consider to be sort of the low-hanging fruit. We're starting with with tools that help, you know, pull people onto the Vita network. <clears throat> and we want to offer real value. You know, we don't want to just, we, we want to offer real tangible value to the people using our product in the form of a free link page. You know, all the other features we talked about for, for podcasters like yourself. Um, you know, and we're going to keep iterating until we you know, create enough of a value proposition where it just becomes a no brainer to participate on the Vita network. You know, um, you can't, you can't succeed in building a business unless you're offering real value. And, you know, we want to be very straightforward about it and, you know, and make it clear that Vita is a, a valuable tool that any creator should have in their repertoire. Yeah. 
Well, it certainly seems like you guys are doing a great job in, in making that case and iterating on it. How many are you guys right now? It's just three of us full time. So uh, myself and my two co-founders, Brandon and Noah, uh, both guys I've known for a while. Uh, Brandon, I met at my last gig. <laughs> he actually joined <clears throat> the same company through a different acquisition. Uh, he was a VP of engineering for a while, you know, has, has built startups and scaled big companies. Uh, and then Noah was actually my college roommate. We built a startup out of college that we sold together. And then he moved to uh, the Bay Area and did a whole bunch of other startups. He's one of those rare guys that, <clears throat> you know, can write code, but also design and make it look good. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're all builders, but, uh, you know, he's, he's responsible, you know, he's responsible for making the, the product look as and function as good as it does. So props to him. Yeah. It's very slick. Um, are you guys planning on raising money for this at any point in the near future? Yeah. You know, we're kind of in the middle of a little mini angel round right now. Um, but you know, we're, we're not, we're not trying to go too fast, you know, on the fundraising and growth side, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, we have driven a wedge into some product market fit in the market. And, you know, we have made ourselves indispensable, uh, you know, for, you know, a group of creators like yourself. Um, you know, we've got quite a few other folks that are going to come on the platform and start recording their podcasts live and essentially turning them into live shows uh, over the over the coming months. Uh, you know, Kevin Rook's been a, a big supporter as well. Uh, you know, Breedlove. So, you know, folks like that. And we're going to, you know, try to get the flywheel turning a little bit faster, you know, before we go and raise a whole bunch of money. I hope it, it would seem like this would be the case. I hope it is that the incentive structure that's now available for live streaming, you know, and like something like YouTube had it before where you could, you know, boost five bucks or 20 bucks or whatever. But obviously we're talking about all the frictionless enhancements that come along with, you know, Bitcoin and lightning, but I'm hoping that that means more people will actually do live shows mm -hmm. because to me, like you would think there's no difference, right? We, we record this and then we publish it or we do it live. But I've always been of the opinion that there is a difference, which is why I've always done live shows, or at least I think I, maybe I started with not live and then sometime in 2020 uh, shifted to live, but it just, it, it makes it more real. Right. And then, I mean, this is kind of what Bitcoin is all about, right. Kind of bringing a realness to the digital world in a sense. And um, I'm hoping now that people have an opportunity to monetize uh, the live stream. Maybe that will increase the incentive to changing these, to bringing these conversations more into a real time sort of dynamic. Cause I, I don't know. It seems like you, you lose something if, if there's a potential to edit and I'd, I'd like to see more live conversations. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, you know, um, and this gives us a chance to pull in the audience as well. Like that's one of our, that's one of our big hopes is that, um, you know, we can provide tools for, for, creators to actually get their audience involved, you know, in the show, whether that's like just a and a segment at the end, whether that's through the paid chat, you know, while the stream is going, uh, you know, whether that's like pulling audience members on the stage to, you know, to ask questions to a guest, uh, you know, all of those things add, you know, more uniqueness to the, you know, to the live show that if you're listening to a recording, you don't get access to, you know, you don't get access to the host's attention you know, to actually ask a live question, you know, if you're, if you're listening to a recording. So, you know, we think there is a lot of value in, in live experiences and we're, you know, 
very, very much focused on, um, you know, adding features and functionality, you know, that make it easier for creators like you to sort of, you know, create and manage these live experiences. Um, yeah. You know, so, yeah. What, what's been the most popular aspect of the offering thus far? Like what, you know, have people most used? Um, I, I guess, you know, by far and away, just, you know, messaging, you know, is, has been the most used thing so far. However, you know, these uh, live streams are, are quickly outpacing it as we get more folks, uh, you know, doing their, you know, their live recordings on Vita every week. Um, but, you know, the simplicity of just, you know, paying to message someone at a rate that they set, you know, to get their attention you know, it's just, it's valuable, you know, like if you're, if you're somebody like, I don't know, like Jimmy Song, for example, uses our Twitter DM bot, you know, which is very simple. It's like, if you try to message Jimmy and you don't follow him or he doesn't follow you, you're going to get a message that says, Hey, I don't often check my, you know, my Twitter non-follower DM. So if you want to get my attention, then do it here. Right. And, you know, he gets folks that send him messages, you know, because they, you know, they're trying to get his attention and it's not a lot, like it doesn't have to be you know, 50 bucks a message or something, you know, 10 cents is enough to completely, you know, filter out, uh, you know, the noise from the signal, you know, because somebody went through the trouble of, you know, paying, a, you know, scanning a lightning invoice to send you this message, you know, it's not a bot, you know, it's not spam, you know, the person has at least, you know, some level of seriousness uh, to take your attention. So um, messaging has, has been by far and away, you know, the most used feature thus far, but, you know, changing, changing quickly. Yeah. Is that feature what Tweetoshi is doing as well? It's kind of a new, uh, um, service. Tweetoshi. Let's see. Tweetoshi. I actually really like those guys. We, we actually communicated over, over Vita you know, quite a bit, but, um, uh, no, they have a really unique thing. Basically they, they've made a Twitter client, a new Twitter client. That's um, right. That sort of, I don't know, I guess I would describe it as overlaying, you know, lightning tipping. You can monetize of, all actions on Into Twitter. the UI itself. Yeah. Right. yeah which is, which is awesome. I'm, I'm a huge, huge fan of what those guys are doing. Yeah. Um, what do you like going back to the idea of, of starting to put a market price on people's time and attention, basically, you know, one of the things that is often talked about in Bitcoin and one of the things that makes me so excited is that, you know, we live in a world today where capital is priced by, a bunch of old dudes in a room once a quarter, completely mm -hmm. insane, and basically for the whole world. Although there's obviously you know <laughs> several central banks, but the U.S. dollar runs the show basically, uh, and and that's just the height of insanity as far as anyone who has any clue is concerned. And with Bitcoin now, as a result of the activity happening there, and as more activity moves into that economy, then capital will be priced far more efficiently in real time because there'll be no friction to doing so. It's instantaneous. It's global. And so to the extent that you need capital to be priced in an economy, which I presume you always will to some degree, uh, Bitcoin is basically going to give you the most pristine capital signal or price capital price signal you could imagine. And that's super exciting for efficiency gains and productivity and, you know, what gets produced and all that kind of stuff, investment generally and, and the, you know, maximizing the benefit of investment and minimizing malinvestment and capital destruction. Is there a, a similar sort of phenomenon do you think will be brought to the, well, the price of human capital, the price of attention capital, the price of time capital by 
by bringing, well, by overlaying or bringing a price directly to that thing, because, you know, money is obviously a way of doing that by proxy for our time and attention and stuff like that. And that's why it's so integral and so important. But with, will, will these sorts of tools that you're contributing to, will they similar pricing efficiency to those intangibles? And if so, what, what do you think the kind of major benefits of that will be? Beyond just being able to monetize, you know, creativity and, and empowering creators and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, if we just sort of, you know, look at the, the the fundamentals, you know, so how is how is spam mostly managed today? It's we essentially, you know, erect walls around access, right, to to someone. Either, either, sometimes those walls are like social connections, like you know, I need to already be connected to you, you know two degrees away through someone else, you know, or something like that. Or, you know, you need to be uh, whitelisted on, you know, in, in my address book, you know, as a sort of more extreme, you know, example, or I need to already be following you, you know, to DM, you know, if you want to DM me, right? So those are all examples of us sort of closing off open access, you know, to ourselves because of this spam problem. But you know, if everyone had an open price set for their time and attention, then we we get rid of all of these sort of artificial walls that are that are put up and and you know and restricting access, uh, which is you know you could sort of think of another way is it's restricting inbound opportunities that you know could otherwise you know come to us right mm-hmm. because there's no way to reach you right so you're you're cut off from these potential opportunities that you know you could be receiving. Um, but if you sort of extrapolate that a, a little bit at scale, like think of all of the human connections that don't happen, the valuable possible human connections that don't happen every day because of all of these barriers in place, you know, to, you know, to, for, for two people to connect to one another, right? Mm-hmm. Back in the old days, you know, when phone calls still cost a lot, you know, like a long distance phone call, for example, you know, could still cost, you know, I don't know, a few cents a minute, right? But everybody's name was in the public address. So you could actually call someone, (laughs) you know, like, or you could cold call someone and they would still answer because it just, you know, it didn't happen all the time and it actually cost people money so that it wasn't being abused, right? But there was still a way to sort of get on the phone with someone that you, you know, you didn't know. And we completely lost that, right? So how how much GDP, (laughs) you know, of the world is lost because two people you know, that are trying to connect with one another, one person looking for particular expertise about X, right, has no way to talk to the person with expertise, you know, about X, because there's just no path for them to, you know, communicate. So I guess to boil it down, you know, I think if we all actually set a price for our time and attention, then the economy, it would help the economy flourish, because the people that you know, actually need access to your very valuable time and attention would actually would actually be able to access it. And you would be fairly compensated because you're in charge of your rates. So, you know, um, it's the, it's if, if we even step back and think about it, you know, in sort of a more fundamental perspective, you know, what is your time and attention? It's a scarce good, right? It's a scarce good that lots of people in the world want right? So the only way to allocate a scarce good to a market is through price, right? Otherwise, well, you have, you have shortages, right? Mm-hmm. Not everyone can get access to it. That's, that's exactly, you know, what, 
and sort of the dynamic that spam creates. But if you want to efficiently allocate a scarce good to a market, you set a price. And then, you know, the price can fluctuate and allocate the good as it, you know, as it would get allocated. So, yeah. I, kind of a, you know, tangent there, but, you know, I don't no, know. No, I love it. I love it. It makes me think of um, almost like a topography. And right now, because of the spam problem and because there's no way of signaling to the receiver of potential information, potential value signal, let's say, everything kind of gets flattened, right? And, and one of the, I'd say the uh, consequences of that is people withdraw, right? Basically, your attention is being DDoSed all the time. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, you're like, all right, I'm not answering DMs. I'm not answering the phone. I'm not doing whatever, you know? And so it's only, you're basically, it's only about your intentions being pushed out into the world. I mean, I'm talking extremes here, but like you default to that more because the signal of the inward signal is so poor that you basically have to just rely on, on, on the external signal, but your external signal is a receiving signal, a potentially received single signal to somebody else. Right. And your, your own signal, which you deem to be valuable and worthy and all the rest of it is being treated the same that you treat all the DDoS signals that your attention is receiving. And so you get this, you just get so much noise in the system and it's almost like you have an undifferentiated. Yeah. And you, you get an undifferentiated topography. Whereas it seems like when you start to, uh, price your time and attention and signal that it's almost like you can pull out the peaks, you know, from the topography and now you're able to identify, Oh, that's, that's a more valuable signal. Maybe I want to consider it. Maybe I do want to integrate it. Maybe I do want to let it penetrate my attention because right. there would be potential value in whatever is there, the cooperation, the information, the what have you, um, really? which intuitively makes sense. And, and it seems like it would be a massive, as you said, you know, boon to individual and collective productivity because we're, a value signal is more able to be, uh, you know, perceived or received and then acted upon where yeah. you're going to get more commerce. You're going to get more trade. You're going to get more value creation generally. And if right. we're, if we're saying now that particularly in the age of the internet and, you know, the, the information age, let's say over the last 20 years, that that has been so perverted by all the noise in the system and the inability to properly price and differentiate and distinguish between all the signals that are coming at people if that's been the case thus far in the in the information age, once we bring a more pristine value signal to that domain, presumably the, the consequences would be tremendous in terms of productivity and and yeah. again value creation. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's like, you know, Bitcoiners often talk about, you know, the the price of money, you know, prices in general, you know, being um, you know, impacted uh, negatively through monetary policy, right, and inflation and things like that. And, you know, it's impossible to sort of, you know, wrap our minds around all of the negative impact that that, that, uh, that, as that ripples through the economy, right? Distorted mm -hmm. price signals for, for goods and services. Well, the same is true, you know, when our, the value of our own time and attention is distorted and manipulated, you know, distorted and manipulated because, you know, oftentimes when we're online, we have no control over the value of our time and attention. Somebody else is leeching the value of, your, of our time and attention, you know, through advertisements. We don't have any control over the price of that, you know, over the price that we're willing to actually look at a, you know, an advertisement, right? We have zero control. But, you know, what is a, if I were to go to your Vita page right now and send you a picture, you know, just send you a, a message, pay your 25 cent rate, 
and send you a picture message. What is that to you? You're going to get that, you know, on your phone. You're going to look at that picture and it cost me 25 cents to put that in front of your eyeballs and you're in total control of that price, right? Is that different or the same as, you know, you scroll on Twitter and seeing, you know, an ad that Twitter places there, you have no idea how much money they're making on, you know, that ad, but you had to see it, right? It leached your attention, mm-hmm. um, you know, but on Vita, you know, if you get too many of those, what do you do? You just raise your rate until you stop getting them. You know, you stop getting the messages you don't want and you, you, know, you tweak your price and, until then. So it shifts the power of, you know, the power dynamic in marketing away from the platform owners and back to the individuals, you know, um, and I, it's like, uh, you know, I don't I'm not necessarily building Vita like to create this new advertising network, but you know, that's kind of what you'd get in the end. If everybody had a price on their time, you'd be able to control the price for someone to access your attention in any form. Do you think it would, it will evolve because setting a flat rate is almost like a price cap, right? Like it's 25 cents to send me a message or a photo. And as we know, price caps usually don't optimize for productivity or cooperation or, you know, optimal production, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it'll evolve into being more of a, well, again, if we use that topography example, again, you'd be able to look at something, however it's listed or ordered, but you'd be able to see where the strongest signal is, not mm-hmm. equating all offers for your time and attention, but you'd be able to see, wow, you know, Lyle wants to speak with whomever and he's willing to pay 50 bucks an hour or a hundred bucks an hour, a thousand bucks an hour. And then, mm-hmm. because if we're talking about this being a tool basically to, I mean, outsource cognitive load in a sense, I mean, or at least parse the signals that you're receiving, that you can engage in the signals that are more valuable to you, which I would say aids in cognition at the very least, because what is cognition, but attempting to filter out the valuable from the less valuable and then focus your attention on that and whatever else is wrapped up in your attention, like your work and your time and your energy and all that kind of stuff. So if that really is kind of a a broad foundational thesis here, then you would tend to think that it will evolve in such a manner that those signals can differentiate themselves and, and, and you would be able to then have a, well, all else equal, you would choose a signal that's offering you a hundred bucks for your time, then 10 bucks for your time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we've thought about that a lot. Um, and, and in fact, you know, a lot of users ask us for like the ability to have an, a, a dynamic price that automatically, you know, changes based on like how many messages they're receiving that day. You know, or imagine, you know, if we were hosting an AMA, you know, in Vita and you were letting people join the stage to ask a question, you know, for a guest or something like that, um, you know, you would want, you, you would want the price to scale with the demand, right? If there was a thousand mm-hmm. people, you know, waiting to ask a question, um, you know, we would want the price to be able to dynamically adjust to that. So that's one way, you know, we, and we are, we are looking at implementing dynamic pricing you know, for a variety of, of, of events, because it's going to be, it's going to be required, um, you know, in, inevitably. Another one is that, um, you know, today you can include a gift. So let's say I, you know, I go and send you a message, you know, on Vita, I can bump up the amount that I'm sending above, above and beyond what your rate is just by including a, you know, a, a gift. And when you get that notification, you're going to see, you know, Lyle sent 10 bucks, you know, for this message. And when you open up your conversation history in the Vita app, it sorts, 
you know, the, the, the order of the conversations by the amount that has been received. So, you know, we sort of have subtle ways, uh, you know, to do that in the app today, but, you know, definitely, you know, something we're, we're digging into because I mean, you're right, you know, um, you know, a single price is, you know, too simplistic, you know, especially if we're talking about sort of, you know, letting everyone set a, you know, set a market price for their time. You know, we have to sort of have more advanced pricing tools as well. Yeah. Um, would it always be, cause I understand part of the bent, cause there's been things before that tried to put a paywall up to people's attention, you know, with email or, or what have you problem. One of the issues being, and I'm sure there's several, but you're already invading someone's attention to get them to look at the offer of mm-hmm. what, you know, so open my email for five bucks. Well, you, you just got 10, 20 seconds of my time. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think to combat that, that's where you just, you, you, you charge for the sending of the email or the message rather than making it an offer. That's exactly why we, you know, do it. And we've had a lot of users sort of ask us why, like, you know, why, why am I going to, you know, why can't I pay only, you know, if I know he's going to read it, right? Well, it's because, you know, whenever you send a message on Vita, what do we do? You know, we send a email to you, you know, we send a push notification to your phone. Sometimes we send an SMS if you have that on, you know, so you're actually getting pinged with these notifications that, as you say, require your time to actually go and look at the email and decide if you want to take action or not, right? That's spam. You just got to send a message, you know, for free if, if you were only paying, you know, if you respond or read it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, at scale, that doesn't work, right? That, that doesn't work because you're just, you know, you're just promoting spam, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so uh, on Vita, you know, we do not send you a notification unless somebody's paying to do it. And that's a core, a core principle of the product. Yeah. Now, counterpoint being that that also limits the, well, let's, let's just say type of signal that I might receive as, as the creator, the, some, the, the person who's, who someone, whose attention someone is trying to access. And by that, I mean, let's say it's just a flat, you pay for sending the message. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, you have to make the decision, well, how much am I willing to pay on the chance that Lyle might read my message? Well, yeah. Yeah. 20, 30, 40, 50, maybe max. Uh, but if, if I could say, well, I could put a thousand dollars up to guarantee that mm-hmm. Lyle gets it. And if, and if he doesn't read it, it gets sent back to me. Mm-hmm. Do you see, and then yeah. you would, you would again, be able to optimize for yourself receiving the highest but also optimize for people willing to express that demand because if you make it a sacrifice in a sense whereby no matter what they are spending the money presumably you would get people less willing to put up as much money and therefore you not receiving the highest value signal that you otherwise might something to that effect yeah 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 um you know there's so we're sort of attacking that problem in a multi-pronged way the first one is that we're rolling out stats uh, like reply stats on every user. So basically, before you send a message, you will be able to see how often a user you know responds, right? So it's essentially a response rate. So you'll you know somebody like you're trying to send maybe they made in a you know an account you know last year or something like that you know and they just don't respond anymore. You'll be able to see that their response rate is really low. You know you may not want to spend the money you know to send this this user a message. So that's like that's the first the first point. 
The second point of like, you know, potentially being able to like put a, an additional response bounty, you know, to sort of frame it like that, you know, on, on a particular message. We've thought about that as well as a number of other options. It's kind of problematic though, uh, in this regard. So, you know, one of the things we want to do with FIDA is like, we want you to be able to use FIDA non-custodially, you know, if you, if you can, if you have a service that you can connect to. Well, a bounty requires that we sit in the middle of that. A bounty requires that we like take money up front, hold it on your behalf, wait to see if you, you know, respond or not within some time period, and then either send it to you, you know, or send it back to the person if you don't, right? And, um, you know, we've thought about doing it, we might do it, but it requires that we be a custodian in every, you know, instance that that, that, that happens. And we don't really like that part of it because it kind of breaks mm-hmm. our model of, you know, you can use everything about Vita non-custodially. You know, that's that's our goal. We want all users to be non-custodial users, you know, if possible. Yeah. Um, it's going to take us a while to get there just because, you know, not everyone's a Bitcoiner yet. But, you know, we're working yeah. on that one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I And that's the conundrum that so many platforms, companies in the space are facing. It's like we could do a bunch of cool stuff way easy, more easily mm-hmm. if we were custodial or we, you know, and it's not even just about, you know, adhering to the ethos. It's, it's a very real, like, if you are not non-custodial, if you, if you're custodial, you will be captured at some point. The question becomes, will you be able to transfer your service to a non-custodial and, and uncapturable, or if that's a word, um, approach when that time comes, you know, Mm -hmm. like basically if it can be rugged, it will be rugged eventually, whether we're talking about, you know, Bitcoin services or all this kind of stuff. Um, so how, how can you put a little bit more meat on that bone? Yeah. I mean, you know, not only that, there's all sorts of, you know, bullshit that we as a company, you know, have to do if we're, you know, custodial service and like, you know, we don't, we don't want to have to do that, you know, unless we, unless we really have to, you know, um, and it costs a lot of money to be compliant. Uh, you know, it's, it ain't, it ain't cheap, you know, uh, for example, you know, but getting it, but money, money services, uh, licenses in 50 States is a complete and utter, you know, shit show. You know, there's just no, yeah. other, there's no other way to say it. Um, you know, we have a goal of being, accessible to everyone so that we have the opportunity to, to introduce anyone and everyone, you know, into Bitcoin and the lightning network and the strengths and advantages that it offers, you know? So we will, we will, we're going to bite the bullet off, you know, and get, uh, you know, get legal from that perspective, but still we're going to continue to incentivize you to not go that route and to connect your account to Ellen Bits or to a Lightning address or to Strike or to an Open Note account or some other custodian that you trust, like Swan, you know, um, because that's how we have the biggest impact. You know, that's how we that's how we expose the maximum number of people to to Bitcoin and the Lightning Network over time. You know, if we if we you know sort of limit ourselves to non custodial only, you know, maybe we could eventually you know build enough of a business to survive. But even if we did, you know, how many, how many new people would we orange bill, you know, about sort of the beauty of the lightning network and how it works. Yeah. Well, I feel you, man. But, but again, that's, that's the trade-off. And I just, uh, it seems like the compliant approach, like 
it seems like as this story unfolds, this whole Bitcoin emerging and, you know, taking over of idea, the compliance will just get tighter and tighter and tighter. I mean, that is the mechanism of control that the, the to impose on this thing in order to try to control it, mitigate it, you know, destroy it in some way. And it just seems like that it's such a slippery slope. Again, I, you know, I really do feel you because the, I mean, that's how they get you. That's the appeal. It's like, oh, you can do so much more when you're compliant because, you know, the, the roadblocks are emptied. And, and most people are used to a compliant experience. That's, mm -hmm. you know, that's the biggest problem is people aren't used to doing things in a self-sovereign sort of way. You know, mm -hmm. they want all the backstops and the insur assurances and conveniences that the compliant approach has made ubiquitous. And, right. you know, part, part of the thing about Bitcoin is, you know, both from its like very foundations, like now you're in, in control of your money, which means you're also responsible for your money. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even even that particular issue, forget about all the value enabled stuff and, and custodial, non-custodial. I mean, that's still a huge stumbling block for so many people just to adopt Bitcoin. It's like what yeah. you really think people are going to custody their own 12 words or they're going to set up their own multisig. No mm -hmm. way, bro. It's never going to happen. And then you get all these concessions being made by people who still want, you know, who, who want more people that, to own Bitcoin. So, you know, quote unquote, own Bitcoin. But it, to me, it seems like that that philosophy, we're just going to end up recreating some, you know, something akin to the existing system that eventually people will get burned by. Yeah. You know, like I know. It, yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's a different paradigm, you know. Um, one thing, can you click the live button on uh, Vita? We're actually not live on Vita right now. <laughs> I just, I just realized. Uh, Where is that button? <laughs> it's the furthest left uh, button. Uh, you know, it's the same little broadcast icon. Oh shit! <laughs> no, it's funny. Uh, Kevin Ruck just messaged me <laughs> and said, "Hey, I tried to come join a comment or submit a comment." <laughs> well, anyway. Uh, we'll fix yeah. that. Make it automatic in the future. If you you know if you go live on Twitter or something, we'll automatically go live. <laughs> but to answer your question, yeah, it, you know, trust me, I have um, I have you know struggled with this conundrum you know a lot in the midst of building Vita, and it's like you know sometimes I I um, I guess the example I use is like okay, how many people you know would buy Bitcoin? If the only, right, the only way to if buy they only it, what? It, it, how many people would buy Bitcoin if the only way to buy it is you have to like buy it and it has to go immediately into cold storage, right? right? So like, you know, unfortunately, I think that it's probably kind of low, right? So it's like typically it's cool Bitcoin, path, baby. You know, you know, trust me, I, I get it. You know, all my Bitcoins is <laughs> cold storage. But like, you know, the first Bitcoin I bought wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't. And I, I don't know, you know, I, I mean, I would have eventually gotten there, but like mm. how long would it have taken me, right? And like I think about, you know, just the sort of the classic extreme cases like, uh, uh, you know, like, you know, you're my mom or something, you know. If she, if the only way for her to buy Bitcoin was that she had to be ready, you know, to have it immediately deposited into cold storage, you know, would she do it? And I am of the opinion that like, you know, maybe one day we can get there, right? Like, but in the early days of Bitcoin, would that have even been possible? You know, probably, probably not, you know, just yeah. because 
even, you know, we didn't even have seed phrases, you know, originally, right? So, you know, we built these on ramps and we educate people why cold storage is important, um, you know, but ultimately, like, if we want our message to be heard by the most amount of people as possible, we have to sort of give them ways to, you know, take a taste and try a bite, you know, and sort of ease their way into the, you know, in, into the water. Um, and that's kind of what, you know, that's kind of our strategy with, you know, with Vita, you know, we want you to be able to use the product and get value from it immediately, whether you know anything or nothing um, about the Lightning Network. But ultimately, if you use Vita often, you're absolutely going to connect it to a Lightning service and you're absolutely going to fund your wallet with Lightning because it makes sense, you know, for both you as the person sort of, you know, sending an outbound communication or receiving an, an inbound communication, you know, it's cheaper, you get your money faster, the experience is better, you know, everything about it is better if you use Lightning. Yeah. And by a Lightning service, I mean, presumably, presumably your own Lightning node, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, today, if you, know, you can, like on Umbral, for example, you know, you can spin up Ellen Bits on your Umbral node and connect it straight into, you know, into Vita. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how many other Lightning services, you know, can even do that, right? In, in, in the same way. So I don't know, we're, we're trying to add any and every Lightning integration that is possible. You know, we want it to exist. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm working yeah. with the Albi guys to, you know, build in support for Albi wallets, um, you know, so it's like uh, you got to put in the work and, you know, do the hard integrations, you know, if we're going to set a good example for like how Lightning services should be built. Totally. Um, and shout out to uh, Orange Pill Addicts who threw a, a message in the chat. I'm so unused to reading messages during podcasts. I'm not sure if it's going to be my thing going forward, but, you know, in the in the spirit of uh, trying things out today. But, you know, just just to I mean, play devil's advocate a little bit, although I, I think I lean more towards this, you know, argumentation is that you said, like, should my mom have been forced to buy like put, you know, buy direct to cold storage? So bull Bitcoin in Canada, that's what they force people to do, right? They don't, you have to input an address to make the purchase. And, you know, Francis is that way ideologically. And, you know, I I love him for it, but my, my kind of Bitcoin address though, right? I mean, they don't know that it's custodial. Well, sure, sure, sure. sure. So, I mean, I guess, you know, my point is like, I wonder what percentage, you know. No, totally. But. Yes. Well, 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 my well, my point was going to be like, and I, of course you're right, but the, the the punchline is that I think a lot of Bitcoiners would their refrain would be is like, well, they didn't buy Bitcoin, did they? You know, <laughs> they bought an IOU, and yes. you could make the case that a lot of people will like. See, the problem is, as the argument goes, is like, well, it's one step at a time. Get them to buy Bitcoin on exchange, and when then when they're ready, get them to take it off exchange. But mm-hmm. what's going to make them ready to take it off exchange? Is it just a nominal amount? Be like, oh thousand bucks like that's uh, you know that's too risky because my fear and i think this has been you know borne out by how much bitcoin has been on been put on custodial exchanges or block or whatever uh is that if nothing bad happens people just kind of say well why is it worth the hassle like why bother and the same is yeah. true you know i have when etfs and stuff have been launched and you know all the you know the people that are hoping they get launched in the states i mean Again, that's just somebody else holding a bunch of Bitcoin exposure for you. And yeah. I, I don't know long term, of course, short term liquidity, pump your bags, you know, people can, yeah. can get exposure 
but are they they're just getting fiat exposure and long term is that a good thing because in my in my opinion it's it's highly probable that mm -hmm. you know the ET, the ETF custodians and the centralized exchanges and all those people can and will be leaned on restricted made compliant yeah. fa you know hacked fail you know look what, sure. just ha what, what just happened with FTX and hopefully that's a, a cautionary tale but i know for a lot of like people will still be like oh well an ETF will be fine well how you know like maybe there's a bit more regulatory structure in place to make sure that that kind of stuff doesn't happen but the same thing could happen someone could fat yeah. finger things on their custody that you know someone could have gone with the funds like it, it, to me the expedient road is just like it always does going to cause people to cut corners and it's going to be more painful in the end. Whereas, yeah. you know, the humble road is the slower road. And again, I'm, this is not prescriptive. I'm not saying, I'm no, not telling no, you no. what you should do with Vita, but like, I, you know, this, this I, is the conundrum I, I, that, that we face. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Um, and you know, that's why, that's why, you know, the situation is a little different on Vita. Like for example, you know, does it cost you anything to keep your coins on Coinbase? You know, unfortunately, no, right? There's not enough disincentive to keep your coins, you know, on, on Coinbase. You know, if there was, if it actually cost you more, you know, <laughs> to do it, maybe more people would pull it off. But right now, it's like the only cost is this, you know, potential, you know, rugging, future rugging that no one takes seriously, right? But with Vita, it actually does cost you significantly more to use our account, you know, our service custodially. And that's how it will always be, you know. <laughs> so we are, you know, incentivizing users to use our service non-custodially, and uh, you know, to use our service, you know, with other participants in the Lightning ecosystem for a variety of reasons. Because we want to see the larger ecosystem grow. We don't want to sit in the middle of your money. We don't want to touch it if we don't have to. We want to encourage, you know, our users to, you know, try out a Lightning service. Like if you're a creator and you're streaming on. Vita and you're making, you know, you're making money, we literally double, you know, uh, or, or cut in half our fee, you know, if you sign up for Strike or sign up for Blue Wallet, you know, or, or use Albi or use OpenNode or use Swan or any other Lightning service, you know, so um, I think that's a big problem, I guess, to boil it down is that, you know, we need to incentivize using services non-custodially and disincentivize using, you know, services um, custodially. Um, yeah. And I think if more did, then, you know, maybe we'll see the tide change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think um, people are just going to have to learn the hard way a lot of the, a lot of these times. And then companies like yours are just going to have to find out what the balance is between what the trade-offs are and what you're willing to we're trying to find the best the best balance of the trade-offs, I guess. But you know, right. I, before I move on to the last couple of things, um, you know, back to this idea of that being able to parse the signal that's coming at you, right? I think that'll be very, very important. And it, it makes me think of a little bit of the you know the mempool, right? Because if you, let's say, on a given day, you said like I'm willing to browse 20 messages, I'm willing to make myself available for one hour. That's my block, right? And I'm uh, you know, the rest of the time I'm busy with family work. I, I don't want to be on my phone. I don't want to have my attention mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and then, you know, in the morning you just flip through and the top fee is at the top. And as you go down, it gets lower and lower and you can choose, you know, to include the ones you want. And when it's mm -hmm. full, it's full and, and, you know, resets yeah. the next day or the next, whatever the, the time frame is. Like that's they, great, yeah. That's a great, that's a great idea, you know, to sort of have a, you know, a cap, uh, 
a cap that you set on like the number that you'll look at per day and then have the price adjust based on the cap. Um, that's a, that's, that's a very simple way to implement that. So I'm actually going to write it down, you know, what's been the, yeah. the, you can sort of achieve that with the voice calls today. Like, I don't know if you know this, but you can set your availability, you know, for, uh, for, for calls and meetings, you know, in your, on your read and page settings. So like, if you only want to be available for calls for two hours a week, you know, uh, those are the only two slots that will show up, you know, that people can reserve, you can pay to reserve and, you know, that will sort of, you know, be the only, you know, the only option people have, but we don't really have a similar mechanism for, for messages. Yeah. And, you know, another interesting potential, and it, yeah, I'm sure you guys have a bajillion ideas. So I know this is, you know, we're just shooting the shit here with stuff that comes to our mind, but, you know, we were saying before how, you'd be able to optimize for your signal if people, uh, if the element of sacrifice was minimized. So they, you know, and the response was, well, yeah, but then we're back to square one where you actually have to browse offers, let's say. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there's, there's, there's some degree of uh, willingness to do that. Like, again, if you're just, if you're browsing through your own personal meme pool, mempool, and, you know, the, the, the most valuable offers are at the top and you go down and maybe, so let's say someone offered you a hundred bucks for an hour of your time and your day was filled already. And in the foreseeable future, you didn't have any more slots. Maybe you could just swipe left on it and it sends it right back to them. I mean, we're dealing with lightning anyways. Right. So it's like, it's no sweat off my ass to send a transaction to send money back, you know, and there's a bit of a reputational honor system thing going on there, but highly seemingly easily resolvable with the reputational tools you're thinking of. And so in that case, the, the risk of sending an offer or, you know, uh, how should I say this? You're optimizing for, uh, meeting the, the attention with the maximal potential value for that uh, offer for that potential out in the market and, and minimizing for the risk of doing so, I guess, wouldn't that be cool? Right. Like you just, you're scrolling through yeah. and you see an offer and you just, you're like, not today. And you send it right back and no harm, no foul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a great idea. You know, other people have sort of, you know, asked us that in a slightly different, but similar way. Like, you know, they want to be able to reverse the flow of funds in a conversation. So the way Vita works today, just for those that don't know, if you start a conversation, you know, with me, then you have to, you know, you have to pay my rate but I can respond to you for free. So I'm not paying, you know, to respond to a conversation that you started with me. Right. Yeah. You know, some people have asked for the ability to, you know, toggle the direction of the payments so that if they do get, you know, a message from someone that, I don't know, maybe they can't help them, you know, or maybe they just, you know, or like maybe the, the conversation is going on for a long period of time and, you know, they are feeling guilty about taking so much money or, you know, whatever. They want the ability to sort of change directions and start sending it back, right? Mm -hmm. Which is kind of similar to what you're saying. Like, you know, you get a message, somebody's trying, you know, trying to, you know, reserve your time or whatever, and you can just send it back, you know, no harm, no foul, like you say. So I think that's a good idea. You know, we're, we're experimenting with a lot of things, um, you know, and we're going to keep experimenting with a lot of things and we're going to stick some stuff out there and whatever sticks, you know, we're going to, we're going to invest more in because that's, you know, that's the stage that we're in, you know, in terms of the product, it's by no means, you know, perfect or all in encompassing, but you know, we're whittling away at it, you know, every day, you know, the number of users in the network grows every day, the number of people recording, you know, live 
podcast, you know, grows every day. And, um, you know, we're just going to try to keep providing value to people and tweak as, as we can to improve that value. How do you, I mean, I, I take it, you know, that kind of experimental approach, but how do you parse between all the potential, you know, features and stuff like that and actually determine what you're going to devote your limited resources to? Yeah, it's a classic, you know, extremely difficult uh, startup problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, the, the only way to really do it is to just, you know, be willing to, um, you know, to cut your losses, you know, with a feature, you know, as quickly as you, you identify that, you know, that it's not working. Um, you know, so we, in, in a way, we are trying to provide a suite of monetization tools because we think the basic building blocks of our tools, paid calls, paid messages, paid streams, you know, those are applicable in lots of ways that we can't predict. So those will always sort of be the standard. But, you know, there is a whole lot of stuff that we could build that, you know, just doesn't, doesn't find a uh, product market fit with our user base. And we just need to scrap it and go a different direction. Uh, so, yeah. you know, I guess to answer your question, it's, you know, you want to sort of get to that point, you know, as quickly as possible. And the only way to do that, though, is to put features, new features in front of users and see how they respond to them as quickly as possible. You know, if you spend six months, you know, developing a particular thing, um, you know, and you put it out there and then it doesn't work well you just wasted you know six months so we're trying to sort of keep the pace of you know we release new things basically every week you know uh we you know try to stay up to date on like how those things are getting used you know do we need to tweak you know do we need to scrap do we need to you know enhance and uh you know we just try to stay on top of it but the most important thing is trying to move fast you know if you get into a slow pace with a startup you're gonna let you're gonna lose yeah what kind of license are, is this all being done under? Uh, you mean like um, what kind of license? Like this broadcast or, or what? Or the code no, I mean or... like yeah, like is this? I mean, you guys open source? Can can anyone contribute? N not not yet. However, Brandon and I are working on sort of an open source beta node that you can deploy so that all of your communications get routed through it. Uh, potentially even your streams. Uh, so I would ask you. You know, as a um, you know, as a podcast host, as a producer, you know, if you could sort of click a button, let's say, and have your own Vita node deployed somewhere, you know, maybe it's on some hosting provider, you know, or maybe it's somewhere else, you know, and all of your streams would sort of you know originate from that node and be broadcast from that node. If somebody landed on your Vita page and started watching it, you know, it would come. It would originally sort of be sourced from that node. Is that something you would you know use? I, I, I guess to pause for a second before you respond, I've asked quite a few people this and it seems to be, you know, most people like they're afraid of like being deplatformed, de but that fear is not enough to get them to, you know, sort of go through the extra time, effort, pain for like managing, you know, their own like streaming infrastructure and things like that. And, you know, not having their, you know, their feeds on YouTube, you know, so I don't know, how, how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, I guess it all comes down to two things, or at least initially performance and, you know, how hard that management is, right? So for, I mean, if I'm hearing you right, would a potential future option be like Vita on your start nine embassy? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's actually um, we're you know that's what we're planning to do is to sort of target that first. <clears throat> yeah, I, I would love that if again it was it was the performance was 
uh, acceptable. And, mm-hmm. you know, presumably you could still take the content and upload it to all those permission platforms afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. And even, um, you know, even the live stream can be, you know, uh, repeated, you know, so like, you know, if, if uh, somebody lands on your Vita page, for example, you know, we would be aware that the, the source of that stream is actually coming from, you know, your node. And, you know, through the, the protocol, we would be able to know how to pull, you know, that stream off your node and rebroadcast it. You know, so you'd still get sort of the benefits of, you know, uh, having other nodes, you know, be able to rebroadcast it, but you're sort of still sitting at the, you know, at the source. Yeah. I mean, I'm very much at the beginning of my sovereign computing journey, you know, with my uh, embassy OS. And I mean, even with running your own Bitcoin node, I think that's a, that was the beginning for a lot of people. And that, you know, that's being your own bank, being your own server in a sense. And I think it, it it's probably going to grow out from there as people, one, realize the benefits of doing that and two, realize the drawbacks of having to ask for permission and the way you express yourself or the way you monetize yourself or any of that kind of stuff. And Presumably, over time, it will continue to get worse on the centralized platforms to the point where, you know, maybe you said something relatively innocuous and you've been demonetized or deplatformed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I just think that's naturally things are going to trend toward the options that provide people the most freedom. And yeah. so in that context, I would very much be interested in a, that option. Cool. Yeah, cool. Well, that's that's definitely, you know, something we want to do. You know, we've also been brainstorming like, you know, how can we provide infrastructure to the Nostra uh, network? I don't even know if I'm saying that like everyone else. Nostra. <laughs> Nostra, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, um, you know, there, there are inherent, you know, limitations to pure P2P, you know, communication and, and streaming, you know, and even, even Nostra has, you know, sort of repeater nodes, right? You will need the same thing for um, you know for communications and, and streams, and you know we want to provide you know we want to help in that regard. We we want to provide infrastructure because um, you know again you know we're trying to provide effectively a marketplace. We're we're trying to create a marketplace for access to human time, and if we facilitate a connection to your time because you know somebody came through our marketplace, then you know we want to take a fee, right? Because we, we facilitate it. If we didn't, then, you know, if we didn't provide value or help facilitate that connection, then we don't deserve a fee, you know, <clears throat> and, and we don't presume to, you know, to, to get one. So, um, you know, we have a, we have a big vision and a lot of stuff we want to do. We're still only, you know, three guys. And, you know, right now we're, <laughs> we're, we're trying to bootstrap a new market, you know, for, for time and attention. But, um, you know, we're, we're definitely getting there. Uh, I hope our, you know, sort of the, the, our proof of work so far, you know, being that you can use our, our network completely non-custodially, um, you know, provide some evidence that we're serious about that. But, you know, we're going we're gonna to keep pushing code and releasing code and, you know, and, and pushing the snowball up the hill. Uh, all right. A couple more or two more and I'll let you go. Um, the... Is podcasting, you know, podcasting 2.0 is probably one of the first popular use cases of streaming sats and, and that kind of stuff. Is that something you guys see in your future? Or are you focused on other things? Yeah, uh, no, I mean, you know, our, our, our one of our big value propositions is to provide every tool that you need as a podcast host. You have to record a podcast, but turn that recording into a live experience. 
So I know, you know, the podcasting 2.0 spec has the ability to like include references to video, uh, live video feeds in it. Um, you know, I've been trying to figure out how to get our stuff integrated with that. So I don't know if anybody is like watching this and thinks they can like push me, point me in the right direction there, you know, so I can get it done sooner rather than later, you know, I would love that, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, absolutely. Like if you, if you, if we're going to let you stream this to Twitter, like we're doing right now, why shouldn't we, you know, let you, you know, publicly, uh, post a, you know, a way to access it through podcasting 2.0 spec, you know, so that mm -hmm. you can receive streams every Vita user has a lightning address you know which can you know receive sats non-custodially um you know so there's no reason why you know we shouldn't integrate with that uh, i'm just kind of behind the learning curve on, on how it works right um the another aspect let's say of the value enabled web that's uh emerging and this is kind of aligned in line with the podcast stuff is the idea of value for value right the 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 capabilities that that lightning allows for allows for that monetization model to be uh well a lot easier to implement with a lot less friction and we really get to see what the see what the kind of long tail of or, or how how value gets sent and transferred and ascribed to things when there are basically no limitations on it so when there's no price caps when there's no friction in the payments when there's no extra fees in, in making them like just how do people react to something of value when they are able to determine how much they pay. And, you know, to summarize, usually it goes something like most people pay nothing. Some people pay a little bit and a very small portion of people pay a lot. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're still, it's still being determined what the kind of net result of that is in terms of how successful monetization is. The model that we've just been discussing thus far with Vita is, and this is kind of crude, so forgive me a little bit, but it's like a paywall for your attention. Even though it's a dynamic pay, it's like a membrane between you and all the people that want your attention. And that membrane, hopefully over time, will filter out the highest signal, i.e. the highest value to you, and you'll easily be able to select them and for all the productivity gains that we've already discussed. Um, right. How do you, like, how do you interpret yeah. the value for value stuff and how does it jive with what you've been doing with Vita? Yeah, we, we've had quite a few users ask us for sort of the pay what you want option that they could enable, whether it's for watching a stream, you know, instead of like a binary on off payments on or off, you know, uh, have a pay what you want option for pretty much all the interactions on Vita, uh, including, you know, messages. Um, so, you know, that's probably the biggest difference between, you know, how the, you know, the payments work. And I think if we sort of implemented that, at least as an, as an option, then uh, you know we would be sort of closer in merging with the traditional value for value, um, you know, uh, ecosystem. Mm -hmm. uh, I personally don't see any any downsides, you know, for that. So it's really just sort of a technical thing for us to get it, you know, implemented. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, some users really really want to, you know, they want to do that. They they want uh, a pay what you want instead of you know sort of this binary option. And uh, what would be best is if you know, perhaps, you know, the two, so the, the dynamic pricing mechanism could work with the pay what you want mechanism, <laughs> you know? So mm -hmm. I don't know, perhaps like if you're, for example, you know, doing an AMA and, and you want, you know, you're giving people access to come actually get on the stage of a live stream, you know, and ask you a question, you know, Sounds perhaps it's sort of pay, pay what you want, but as, you know, as more people get in the queue, then it scales into, you know, uh, a dynamically priced sort of, uh, 
you know, situation. So I think there's, a, you know, there's a lot of options. We're still at the beginning. Um, you know, ultimately we want to provide the product that people, you know, want to use the most. So if people are, you know, wanting the pay what you want option, then we're going to, you know, we're going to provide it. Yeah. I mean, I think it seems it's reasonable to me that even in the value for value model, there might, there probably will at some point be that an element of bidding or dynamic pricing, because you'll have to filter out at scale. You have to filter it out somehow. And I think there's also a distinction because Vita, you know, there's a distinction between offering something that's replicable at basically zero marginal cost, like a live stream or an image or some piece of digital, whatever, versus my one-to-one -one direct time. I mean, it, yeah. I, it, that's not something that most people would be comfortable doing in a value-to-value value way, value-for-value way, at least not exclusively. You'd want to mm -hmm. say like, this, you know, my time is worth whatever, an hour. Uh, yeah. But for things like this, you know, maybe you don't want to have a price cap or a paywall. You just want to say, if, if you want to jump in, make it easy for people to send value, but not a right. necessity. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. Um, you know, so, um, you know, we're going to keep that <laughs> see and see what happens. And like I say, I mean, you know, we're trying to, we're, we're trying to add a ton of value to, you know, creators. And if, if you live online, like we're trying to offer you a bit of value, you know, if you're not a creator, our link page is still useful, you know, and it, and it offers features that you would typically have to, you know, pay for through something like mm -hmm. Linktree. In fact, we even can link, we can import your premium Linktree into Vita and, you know, and for, for with the click of a button and you don't pay anything, you know, so like, that's sort of an example of the value we're trying to offer to norm, normal people. But, you know, we're trying to offer a lot more value to people that actually have bigger audiences and produce content, you know, and record podcasts and stuff. You know, we want to offer, you know, 85% of Riverside and 85% of StreamYard, you know, and 85% of Restream, you know, and uh, bundle all that in so that it's just an, it's a no-brainer thing. You know, it's a no-brainer thing to come over here and uh, monetize your, your audience with Vita. Yeah. Well, man, I think you're well on your way to doing that, especially with as few of uh, a small team as you, you currently have. Uh, did we not address anything today that uh, you think is relevant either to share with people or that you wanted to get out? No, I, you know, I, um, I, think, we, I think we covered a lot of it. You know, ultimately, Vita is just about you know, people valuing other people's time. You know, and I guess, you know, sort of if we think about step back and think about it, like if um, if I don't value my own time, then how do I value your time? How do I value appropriately value other people's time? You know, mm -hmm. uh, I hope that by offering tools like this, we can, you know, expand access to, you know, expand the possibilities of, you know, who can access who in the global, you know, interconnected economy. But at the same time, you know, we can actually um, reduce some of the, the crap that's on the internet in form of spam and also, you know, change the power dynamics in online marketing so that, you know, when your attention is being taken, you're actually getting compensated for that. So I don't know, that's really the big picture mission, you know, with Vita. So if that resonates with you, you know, come make a, a Vita profile, set a price for your time and, you know, help us grow. Awesome. Well, man, uh, I appreciate you taking the time, speaking of time, today with me to help get this set up and to have this conversation. Um, okay. Look forward to seeing how things develop and, you know, perhaps we'll do it again in, in six to 12 months when there's a lot more to talk about. Cool. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. All right, brother. Take care. Later.
Let's go. 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 Let's go.